This is the Mind and Wellness Podcast. We're raising mental health awareness by discussing the little things you can do to enhance your life, covering topics like anxiety, depression, and how to handle life's pressures. With your hosts, Quinn Maroney, and myself, Scott Quinnell, together we will show you how to improve your mind and wellness. This podcast is brought to you by Midwest Center for Personal and Family Development. No matter what, there are people to help. For more information, visit mentalhealthinc.com. That's mentalhealthinc.com or call them at 651-647-1900. That's 651-647-1900. Welcome to episode one. I am here with Quinn Maroney. She is a clinical social worker from the University of Minnesota. Quinn, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So that's one thing is that like um, people aren't quite sure what the initials after people's names are when they're seeking out therapy. So LICSW, LGSW, MSW, all of that means someone's a therapist. Um, so I got into this field to mostly, I was mostly interested in working with kids because I had experience working um, at an autism center before. And then I realized that I like working with adults too. So I kind of run the gamut. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. So when you went to school, like, did you go into school knowing this is what you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah. You knew exactly this is what you wanted to do? Well, grad school. Yes. Okay. Uh, undergrad, I went to school for psychology. Um, and at that point, I did know I wanted to be a therapist, but I, but I wasn't sure what route to take at that point. Because you can be like a clinical psychologist or a marriage and family therapist. Like there's lots of ways that you can kind of go about it. Do you ever talk to your clients about exercise, about what exercise can do to improve their overall mental health? And not only exercise, but also nutrition, things like that. It's a tricky balance, right? Because you don't want to attribute someone's very real symptoms of anxiety and depression to something that they could fix themselves, if that makes sense. Exercise and nutrition are part of the healing journey, but it's not necessarily the whole. These are suggestions. These are ways in which you can start working towards, you know, that level of functioning that you feel is important or that you feel is, you know, kind of like your baseline functioning. But then therapy is useful for kind of exploring ways in which you've processed information, experiences that you've gone through, and how those have kind of shaped your current behaviors and interpretations of your own experiences. When you say that you talk to other trainers so that other trainers can help you, what what would you say that the exercises or activities that they give to you, what do you think that the best exercise that you would recommend to somebody else is? Um, I think generally just being outside or being with your own thoughts or any type of movement um, would be helpful. So um, yeah, Scott, why don't you talk maybe like touch on the ideas that you have as far as daily exercise. But my suggestion to clients is typically like if you can have any movement in your life and just like get yourself out of those rhythms or those routines that feel stagnant, then that's kind of a starting point. So when people think about exercise, the first thing they think about is, crap, I got to go get a gym membership. I got to drop a bunch of money. 
I got to go in, throw some weights around, spend a couple hours on the treadmill, whatever it may be. But the thing I practice to my clients more often than not is just simply go for a walk, preferably outside. Yeah, I think that's a good point of that, at least on the mental health side of things, that exercise is one piece of the very complicated puzzle. When you're looking at, say, anxiety and depression, which are the most common mental illnesses, it can be excruciating and incredibly painful to even stand up or get out of bed. So there's those parts of depression and anxiety. And if you can get to the point where you can break up those routines, break up those um, areas of discomfort where it doesn't even seem like you can get out of bed, that can be one part of your puzzle of like finding that baseline mental health that feels like a good functioning level for you. So one thing that I get asked a lot about, not necessarily in therapy, but just kind of in life as a health practitioner, what does water do for your body? And is that part of mental health too? I mean, it's part of life. It's part of life as a whole. You need water to survive, right? You need water to do just about anything in your body. Water is huge as far as muscle building goes because it flushes those lactic acids out and you you build those lactic acids when you tear those muscle fibers. And so when you tear those muscle fibers, you have all those lactic acids. That's why you get sore. And what water does is it flushes those lactic acids out, replaces it with water, and then helps those muscle fibers grow back together, heal pretty much. And so how does it affect mental health? It it goes along with the blood flow to your brain. Blood is water. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. (laughs) Okay. Great. That answers that. Is there an amount of water people should be drinking to like maintain a good amount? And that's the thing too is like people are always, well, how much water should I drink? Or I can't, I can't count the amount of times on my fingers where I've had somebody come up to me and be like, how much water should I drink? It's such a broad question because you could sit at a desk all day and you'll drink enough water. It's super easy to drink enough water. You could stay hydrated. But the second you get up and start walking, the second you, you get up, walk to the bathroom, go for a 30 minute walk, whatnot, you're making your body work. And what your body needs is water. It needs it needs fuel. It needs to stay hydrated. And it, it's burning It's burning those calories, which is energy. Calories are energy. Got it. And you need water to stay hydrated in order to make your body function. If you don't have water, you'll faint. <laughs> you know? And you, won't be, and you won't be able to use any energy. You won't be able to burn any, any energy, take in energy. Sure. So from the mental health perspective, then it's like, in order to attempt to function at your best mentally, physically, like do as much as you can to kind of fill in those slots is what I'm gathering. Exactly. And it's like if you if you work out once a day, you you should drink more water than someone who doesn't. Typically, the calculation for somebody on how much they should drink a day is half your body weight in ounces. Okay. I've heard that too. Right. Sure. Yeah. So if you're 150 pounds, that's 75 ounces and that's converted to 70. Yeah. 
<laughs> Some fast math there. However many <laughs> gallons that is. Great. Okay, let's move on a little bit. So I was talking with Scott about some things that we could kind of work into your daily regimen, some tools about regulating your body, your brain, um, that are a little bit more discreet and don't require any supplies in order to do it. So a very basic skill um, that's oftentimes used in therapy is called the five senses skill. So here's what it is. So you're focusing on all five of your senses. And this is a great tool to use while walking or going to bed or you're frustrated at your kid. I don't know. Whatever is kind of like giving you a little bit more stress and you're feeling elevated. So first, you're going to acknowledge five things that you see around you. So maybe that's like water bottle, lamp, pillow, screaming child, plant, clock. Is that five? I didn't know. I didn't count. (laughs) I should have been counting on my fingers. I should have. (laughs) Five things you see around you. And then four things you can touch around you, acknowledging those things. You don't actually have to touch them, but seeing what could I touch? Your hair, couch, your pants, things like that. Or depending where you are, the toilet, the sink, the bathtub. (laughs) Yeah, it could be anywhere. And then acknowledging three things you can hear. So whether that's... um, you know, the sound of yourself swallowing or the TV in the background or someone mowing the lawn and then acknowledging two things that you can smell and then one thing that you can taste. What is the, in- basically, what is the inside of your mouth, t- mouth taste like for you? So that's a really helpful coping technique for anxiety and that is called grounding skills. Um, so that really brings your brain back into your body and allows you to kind of start thinking with what we would call like the prefrontal cortex. So does that go along with, so I heard about this one little activity that you can do where you breathe in for eight seconds, Mm -hmm. breathe in for eight seconds. Do you hold it for three seconds? It's like eight, four, or six or something like that. Something like that. And you just let it in through your nose, out through your mouth. Yeah. Does it kind of go along with, with that, with that little activity? It's just a little bit more complex yeah so the five four three two one senses is like it's almost as a distraction slash meditation grounding technique the breathing skills are really helpful like that where you're breathing in for eight holding and then exhaling something that's helpful with breathing exercises is definitely following that module of or that technique of breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and as much as you can um, resting your jaw and like letting the your tongue like fall from the roof of your mouth really letting all of that relax um yeah so all of those skills kind of bring you back into your body the grounding the breathing um just to attempt to regulate because the prefrontal cortex part of your brain is the thinking brain and oftentimes with anxiety or depression um, that goes back to like the hippocampus if we're being brain technical, I guess. <laughs> We're always being brain technical. <laughs> yeah. So that is my tip or trick of the day, especially at work. I know we're all working. Well, not all of us, but most of us are working from home at this point. Um, so giving yourself that opportunity to take a break, really relax and set into your body. Um, yeah. Allows for 
some ease of tension. Is there any way, so do you recommend that 54321 to your patients? Yeah, uh, any any age really. So I work with all ages, kids, couples, families, individuals. Um, and it's I've recommended it to six-year-olds. I've recommended it to 60-year-olds. It, it really runs the gamut. And so the big thing in, where I work, so the big thing in training is accountability. And so how, if, if you're someone who, this is totally new, it's a new, it's a new habit that you want to get into. How do you keep yourself accountable? Or let's say you give that activity to one of your patients, do you keep them accountable? Not necessarily. So I tell them that I sometimes give them homework, but I don't demand that they do the homework. It's always an option with, with these things because otherwise it's, if it's not your choice, then you're less likely to do it in this circumstance anyway. So when thinking about homework or practicing skills, the best way for it to become useful for you is to practice the skills when you're calm and you're not elevated so that it almost becomes a natural coping skill that you can pull out of your pocket when necessary. So think about, um, you know, the, the natural coping skills that people have are like sleep, watching TV, zoning out in some way. Those are well-practiced skills. Um, but in order for, for new skills or new kind of self-soothing techniques to come into play, you have to practice when you're feeling calm and relaxed. Oftentimes that's in therapy where you're practicing or right after or something like that. Um, and then bringing, being able to really easily pull that out when you're feeling stressed. So when you're feeling, so does the same thing go um, with this five, four, three, two, one, when you're anxious and when you're stressed? Yeah, I would say it's, a, it's kind of in the same realm. Um, everyone has a level of anxiety, which I think we would call stress. And then when anxiety comes to a level where it's impairing functioning, it becomes a clinical diagnosis. So by that, I mean, is it getting in the way of your relationships, um, occupation, education, um, social interactions? That's when you would really seek therapy or call it anxiety. And so going along with the, with the topic of stress, I actually, Quinn actually hasn't heard this story yet, um, but she, we got into the, into the studio um, earlier today and she goes, what's a lobster story? And so I was going to explain it to her. I was going to explain it to her what I meant by lobster story, but I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just going to tell you right now. Let's hear and it. So I was scrolling through social media. I had Instagram maybe. And I found this story. I found the story on some account and it was a video about a rabbi a rabbi in Canada or something like that. And uh, he was in a dentist's office waiting, waiting for his appointment. And he picked up this magazine and, and he flipped to a page and said, I don't remember. It said like, how do lobsters grow? Right. And he explains, he explains in the story and he goes, so a lobster has, it's an exoskeleton the shell on the outside, 
they have this exoskeleton. And so just like snakes, as they grow, they have to shed their exoskeleton and grow a new one. And so a lobster in that exoskeleton as they're growing feels confined, feels uncomfortable, and overall feels stressed. And so what a lobster does is they go into hiding for two weeks. They go into hiding, strip that shell, strip that shell, grow a new one. Then they go about and then they grow more, do the same process. Because they're getting stressed, they go in quotes, deal with their stress, hide for two weeks, grow a new shell, and go back out. And he, he said he said this one one line in the video that I thought was hilarious. He goes, if lobsters had doctors, they wouldn't be alive. So, because in human terms, doctors try to tell us how to avoid stress, right? But as a lobster... They, they have to confront the stress in order to grow. And so when they get stressed, they, they go find a cave, strip that shell, and regrow. Then they live longer. I would love to sit in a cave for two weeks when I'm feeling stressed. That sounds great. I mean, during times like this, you can, can call your house a cave, and, and there you go. Yeah. And so he says the moral of the story is confront your stress. I mean... He doesn't say it like this, but he says, be like a lobster, confront your stress, do what you have to do to grow rather than take a different path and, and kind of dwell on that stress and let it kind of beat down on you a little bit. Yeah. And I would say that's a huge theme in therapy of that your stress or anxieties or traumatic experiences, those aren't going to go away. And the, the, the. The key is not to avoid those situations, but rather have tools or ways in which you can handle them and it doesn't feel as stressful or it doesn't feel as anxiety inducing anymore. So if someone's, if someone's stressed and I mean, this is kind of the moral of the whole, of the whole podcast. If someone's stressed, if someone's feeling anxious, especially during these times, especially with COVID going around, um, how would you recommend being a therapist? How would you recommend someone starts therapy? Yes. So I th I keep telling everyone this is a great time to start therapy because it's all telemedicine. So I guess technically, I mean, if you didn't like your therapist or you didn't like how things were going, you could just boop log off and it's over. You know, the um the investment is a lot less over telemedicine as you're starting out. So a couple of things that I think are important for people to know when starting therapy, because a huge barrier for people is often paying. How do I pay for this? And the kind of the social language around it is that therapists are expensive. Okay, there's this thing called mental health parity law, which means that um, mental health has to be covered by insurance at the same rate as physical health. So with that, if you have health insurance and your copay is $30 to go see your primary care doctor, it's typically going to be about $30 for you to see a therapist. Um, every office, well, not every office, I guess, but most mental health agencies, or at least at Midwest Center, have an admin staff who's doing all your intake work, um, verifying your insurance with your insurance company. And at that point, they are verifying your deductible or your copay and if your deductible is met or if your copay needs to be t paid at the time of service 
all of that information is recorded. So you can always ask that intake person all of that information, like what is my out-of-pocket going to be? How much am I going to be paying for this? So to really demystify for yourself that process of insurance, it should be covered if you have insurance, especially in Minnesota. I know this podcast is not only going to Minnesota, but especially in Minnesota. Other agents or other therapists sometimes pay out of pocket and then they do this thing. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but they give you kind of a essentially a receipt. So then you can submit that to insurance. That just kind of like takes out um, the middleman of them having to submit to insurance. You do it instead and get reimbursed. So and so what would you say to somebody? Okay, so we have telemedicine now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's 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 easier to pay for than than actually 42.5% of the population think. So what that means is 42.5% of the population says they can't afford the cost. And so what would you say to someone after after saying that, what would you say to someone who comes to you and they go they go I don't I don't think I have time. Sure. So sessions are usually about, um, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the therapist. It can be shorter, too. Um, The time element, I totally get, especially if you're working from home and COVID and you're raising kids and you don't have the time for it. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And... With telemedicine, you can log on during your workday if you have that capacity, or you can talk to your therapist about doing a phone call instead of a video, and you can take a walk while you're doing therapy and kind of check off two birds with one Exactly. Go outside, enjoy (laughs) the outdoors. So that's one thing. And therapy is a way for a lot of people to refill their own cups so they can help other people fill their cups. So putting on your mask before you help a kid put on their mask, same premise, kind of taking care of yourself in order to take care of others is an important element of this. So yeah, you might feel like you don't have time. You don't have time to schedule or fill out the paperwork or sit 45 minutes without interruption. Totally get it. And your therapist understands that there are extenuating circumstances that allow for some flexibility and change. And then, okay, so someone says, all right, I can afford it. I have time for it. But there's just, I don't feel comfortable going into a therapist's office. It goes, it goes kind of with the Make It Okay campaign, making therapy okay, making it kind of a socially respected um, thing. What 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 would you say to that? What would you say to try to make somebody feel comfortable about choosing to see a therapist? Sure. I think it has to be on your own terms. You know, if someone's forcing you to go to therapy, I don't think the change agent is quite there because it's not for you. It's for someone else at that point. So, um, yeah, just deciding when you are ready is really the most important factor some things that can kind of quell those concerns because some people feel like, oh my gosh, is this diagnosis forever? Is this going to follow me? Is this going to be in court someday? You know, all of those parts that just kind of like bring you back to your lizard brain where you're just trying to self-preserve and protect. Okay, everything you say in therapy is private and confidential. 
unless you're hurting someone else or you're hurting yourself, then that has to be talked about. With a kid, obviously therapists are mandated reporters. So if there's any neglect or abuse, then that gets reported. Otherwise, everything stays in session or stays between you and your therapist. So next time, I think it'd be valuable, if Scott's okay with it, of talking about what experiences, emotions, reactions would be useful to seek out therapy for. And we can kind of talk about like big T, little T trauma, which we'll explain next time. And um, like how long does therapy last? How often? And how to find a therapist that is a good fit for you. And with that, thank you for listening to the Mind and Wellness Podcast, and we'll see you next time.